Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's show, Joe Biden is officially running for re-election. The Republican primary is still Trump's to lose. The Supreme Court protects access to abortion medication for now. Fox News fires Tucker Carlson. And Bud Light succumbs to cancel culture. Then the Atlantic's Mark Leibovich stops by to chat about his weird breakfast with Chris Christie and the Republican primary. And later, we get back into the prediction business just in time. For Joe Biden's announcement video. Hmm. But first, be sure to check out the Crooked Store for all the latest merch inspired by your favorite pods and progressive causes. There's some cool stuff in there right now, and every purchase helps benefit Vote Save America's No Off Years Fund to support the work of organizers across the country. Head to crooked.com slash store to check it out. Also, Crooked Media is hiring. We're hiring people. We have a ton of great job openings right now across content, marketing, digital, and more, including right here on the Pod Save America team. You can replace Love It. Oh, yeah. Just, just taking resumes. That's, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, right on. Check out all the openings and apply now at crooked.com slash careers. All right, let's get to the news. We are recording this late afternoon on Monday. But by the time you all hear it, Joe Biden will have almost certainly released a video announcing that he's officially running for re-election in 2024. There are multiple reports that White House senior official Julie Chavez Rodriguez will be his campaign manager. And he's set to meet with donors in D.C. this Friday to start raising money for what's estimated to be a $2 billion race. So much money. Too much money. Biden's approval is still stuck in the low 40s, and most voters don't want him to run again, including about half of all Democratic voters. But because of his significant accomplishments and his party's history-defying midterm performance, only Marianne Williamson and anti-vax conspiracy theorist Robert Kennedy Jr. have stepped up to challenge him, and the DNC has no plans to hold any primary debates. Uh, Tommy, Mm -hmm. we were in the White House when Obama ran for re-election. What are the mechanics of how that works? Who's in charge? Where's the campaign? How does the president and the staff split their time? Who's the big boss? So it seems like Joe Biden's probably making this announcement tomorrow via a video so he can create a campaign fund and start raising money. Because as you pointed out, he's got to raise two bill- a billion dollars? That's so much money. I think they said two billion and that, would, the count, total. that would count outside super PAC spending. Oh and this, but this is just for the Biden side. Yeah, but this allows <laughs> you to, to start an organization, hire people, start getting staff in place. You mentioned that they named uh, Julie Chavez Rodriguez to be the campaign manager. She's currently the director of White House Office of Intergovernmental Affairs. So I assume she moves out of that position into the campaign. It's likely that decisions will be made by a broader circle of people that includes 
White House staff like Anita Dunn, Mike Donilon, Bruce Reed, Steve Reschetti, uh, Jeff Zients, Chief of Staff, Jenna Malley Dillon, his deputy. Some White House staffers can coordinate with the campaign, others cannot. So it'll be that kind of group. And they will decide how Biden splits his time between these official events uh, at the White House proper or campaign events out into the in the states. Um, to some extent, I guess everything you do is is a president is a is campaigning. It's helping your reelection. But campaign staff set up the big rallies. Campaigns have to reimburse the government, for example, for the price of Air Force One rides to campaign events. So it gets a little complicated. But it seems like that's what he's doing here. Yeah, I think the way they do it is um, the staff that is uh, most directly connected to like. Biden's personal actions, so like his scheduler, speechwriter, people like that, like they, they can be both campaign and White House because it would be hard to split those people in half. Yeah, because <laughs> he needs some, them for both. Like, you know, I think Ben Rhodes could coordinate with the campaign, so there was like some policy person you get on certain areas. Yeah, foreign policy, but it sounds like they might put the campaign office in Delaware. Yeah, for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting to do that. I mean, I guess, I guess we had our reelect in Chicago uh, while we were all in D.C., but um, yeah, Wilmington. The argument was that it was good to get a campaign out of Washington because then everyone comes together as a team and you can avoid the D.C. chattering class bullshit. I wonder if that's avoidable anymore with Twitter and social media. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it would have hurt the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2008 for the headquarters to not be in Boston. Yeah, I mean, before you're, before you're in the White House, I'd say definitely don't have a campaign anywhere near D.C. Yeah. The reelect, I think it's, it's a little different. I mean, but as you said, Tommy, like for, for our campaign, it was Jim Messina was running the campaign in Chicago, but David Plouffe was in the White House and essentially running the campaign. David was really running the campaign. David was really running the campaign. Axelrod had left the White House at that point, but was still a very important advisor on the campaign. So it's very sort of amorphous where the the lines are on this. It it seems like making everybody drive two to three hours to have an in-person meeting seems like a pain in the ass. For yeah. no good reason, if you put it in Wilmington. Maybe a lot, of zooms. Zooms. a lot of Zooms. A lot of Zooms. No offense, Dan. Delaware's uh, great. <laughs> yeah, Delaware's great. We love Delaware. Dan's going to run. No, so I think, as you said, the the most important reason to announce now, or two reasons, really, the money thing is the big one. Uh, there was some fundraisers quoted in some of the stories today saying, like, you, you just can't get the extra month or weeks or whatever back at the end of the campaign, like, especially when it's going to be this much money that you have to raise. You have to start now. And also... It, doing this puts to bed all of the stories about like, will he or won't he? And why is he taking so long? And all that kind of shit. Sa- yeah. Can't Sam and Diane your reelect, you know? I assume, yeah. I mean, it just seems as though temperamentally, Joe Biden would want to wait as long as possible. And this is as long as they could wait. He loves to chew on decisions. Yeah. Yes, but I think he also likes the, po- it is, I think, you know, he likes the, the imprimatur of being president without all the pesky politics around with it. He can go and do the infrastructure events under a purely, uh, you know, official label. And now he's a candidate and all that that entails. That is historically the incredibly silly distinction that I think politicians think about when they wait to announce their reelection. Yeah. And, you know, he hasn't been holding back on the trail when he's doing those events on talking about the, you know, mega mega trickle down Republican people, <laughs> right. you know, right? Like mega he's mega been... trickle down. <laughs> he is not. It sounds like a lottery. <laughs> sounds like you can, sounds like you can win big on this Sunday's mega mega trickle down, triple down, trickle down. I like with that. the Powerball. <laughs> New Jersey's going to steal that. So we've talked a lot about Biden's challenges. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of factors he can't do much about most notably his age, 
and the economy. What can he do to improve his chances? Any advice on what kind of campaign he should run? Love it. So you live in L.A. You can do a lot about your age. That's, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah well. And I think he has. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I don't know if his advice is just like how I'm like, I talked about this with Leibovich a bit because he, you know, Mark wrote a, a piece that was basically saying, what, why is no one challenging Joe Biden? And the conversation I had with, with Mark, which you'll hear, is just about the fact that like this risk aversion to challenging Joe Biden is because I think age really is the most salient and, and, and weakest part of his candidacy. And that's a very tough thing to launch a campaign based on, right? Because I think there is a pretty wide consensus that Joe Biden played his hand as president as well as any person could. He has done as well as a human being could in this job, given the circumstances of a closely divided Senate, of a post-COVID economy, and all the challenges that he faced. And that means it's a generational argument without the heft of what you had in 2007 when Barack Obama was launching not just an age-based campaign, but a, a campaign about culture, about politics that was broader. And so in that context, I think basically Joe Biden can't argue his way to being younger uh, but what he can do is assuage the people that have that very real and legitimate concern by showing, not telling, and just being a active Cart- cartwheels. Yeah, I would bike say. Rides. Yeah, I would say a back handspring into a into some <laughs> triple dutch. Maybe, maybe <laughs> thinking about that, like uh, no. Willy Wonka. Maybe there. we chill with the bike rides over there. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah, not go well. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do think one thing that was really smart and is a small piece of advice. He looked so young and lithe when he was talking to those Holocaust survivors. I think the more that we can get oh him next God. to like just truly the oldest human beings on earth, he seems he's like help. He needs to help Diane Feinstein across the street back to the Senate. He needs to look like a young, vital person. Looks like we're only booking AI Joe this year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's a, one idea. Another no, just idea. Just a pitch. You probably no can't, bad ideas in a brainstorm. You, you probably can't go to a hot uh, war zone every week. But that, that Ukraine trip was very good. I think he looked in command of not just the country, but the world. The challenge is that every- Send him to Kiev. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Rose Forget Garden Forget about strata. the Rose Garden strata, yeah. <laughs> not, a lot of, not a lot of electoral votes in Kiev these days. <laughs> the problem is that every stutter or verbal slip is going to get edited down in some attack video and used against him. But I, I, I think the only way you defeat that is with volume. You just got to be out there. I, yeah, I could agree. not agree more. Like, I would take the occasional- maybe more than occasional Biden gaffe over the stilted teleprompter reading where then he sort of he when he sounds older and mumbles, it's because he is, I think, reading from the prompter. But he also, as he's been through his entire career, wants to ad lib, wants to say stuff. And I think when he's also when he's in like an interview, that's kind of t- like when it's a tough reporter going to question. I think when he's talking to people, when he's in town hall settings, when he's connecting with people one on one, absolutely. When he's doing non traditional press, he's really good, and he should just go do that. Did you guys see Joe Biden's speech to the Canadian Parliament? No. Really? <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I thought this was a trick. I, 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 I thought you were about to play like an AI too, Joe Biden thing. <laughs> it's yeah. a serious question that I thought you were going to make fun of me, so I was leaving space for it. I didn't even. I was I like, I wasn't he in Ireland? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you addressed the. Was Ir- it in French? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you did both. You talked to the Irish uh, Parliament too. But we're you- just a couple of low information <laughs> voters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, politics <laughs> stops at the water's edge, Tommy. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, he had this great moment in Canada where he was addressing the Canadian Parliament and he said something about how he and Trudeau had reached gender parity in both of their cabinets. And all the liberals stand up and they applauded that and all the conservative Canadians remained seated. And Joe Biden's like, hey, guys, uh, whether or not you disagree, you might want to stand up. This is just about like equality. And this is a great moment where he was kind of like sharp and screwing with these kind of MAGA right wing Canadians. And I don't know. I thought you guys might like that. Know, mu- much Thanks like for he, telling us about it. Much like he did. <laughs> Can't wait to learn more. Much like he did during the State of the Union. Did he have any poutine? <laughs> I don't know. The State of State the of Union, Union happened right here in America. No, no, I, and that was and that and that I watched the fuck <laughs> out of. Yeah, him. I remember that. That was wild though. I remember no, that. It reminds though. me of the State of the Union. He was very good that day. Uh, it was very good. So that's all style stuff. I also think he humor like he should joke about his age, and he's already done that a few times. Like just lean into it. Everyone's thinking about it. You know, don't. It, there's no reason to avoid it at this point well, and then more than it's not else. like don't think of an elephant bullshit every it's it's there everyone right. knows <laughs> don't think of an elephant i forgot I'm about fucking that george book. lakehoff uh but then most of all he's just gonna have to make it a choice between joe biden himself and whatever extreme right-wing members of the republican party he runs against probably donald trump but if it's DeSantis, it's, it's about you know fighting against a candidate who wants to permanently ban abortion in the entire country and is more focused on preventing one transgender kid from playing sports in Oklahoma than jobs or anything Do you else. think that, that he should be compared against the alternative and not the almighty? It's yes. His, it's his it's his saying. It's It really it's is. His just, saying it's, it's a it's great been, line. It's yeah. as true as it's ever been it a, about it, him. Yeah. <laughs> He's used to say it about Barack Obama, but it's it's yeah even truer about him. And I do think, look, there's going to be a lot of Democrats being like, he's just got to let people know about all his accomplishments when we go through this all the time. I think he needs to frame the accomplishments as a choice, right? Like in, within the mm-hmm. context of the choice. So it's like we can keep investing in clean energy or we can, you know, outsource those jobs to some other country. We can keep fighting to protect abortion or get a national ban, right? Like you just, every accomplishment has to be framed as a choice between moving forward and going backward. And I think that's, you know, he did finish the job during the State of the Union. I think we'll probably hear a lot more of that. In Canada or here? No, no, here domestically. 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 Um, uh, do you guys think we're going to get a good kind of let Biden be Biden news cycle? We just started one. We, yeah, that was us. That's it. Okay. We did it. Well, no, usually comes after some sort of mistakes are made and we blame some mm. advisors and then some other advisors say you got to let Biden be Biden. It's good, right. There or needs to be a be news off. cycle about there needs to be a news cycle about how he's in Washington. He hasn't been on the trail very much. His numbers are low and now he has to be unleashed to right. the world. There's also going to be like an off the cuff moment where everyone likes it and he gets a lot of applause for that. And then people are going to say, oh, why can't we see that Biden more? And then all the advisors are going to be in meetings and they're going to say, Remember when you did X? We just need to let you do that more. That's yeah, what they always said to communicate Trump. that. Better. Barack, Barack Obama loved hearing that. Well, of course. <laughs> something that Joe Biden, something that Joe Biden will will be saying on the campaign trail every day for six months will break through, and then everyone on Twitter will be like, "Where has this Joe Biden been?" That's the classic. That one also happens um, in concession speeches. Everyone's like, oh, mm. that version of ex-politician was Where was incredible. that John Kerry? Yeah. It's like a stump speech. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> stump. it's usually the stump. Anyone nervous about um, RFK Jr. pulling uh, 14% in a recent poll? I didn't um, like it. No, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, the Kennedy name. You know, there's something probably people don't really get that he's an anti-vax conspiracy theorist. But, yeah. I mean, I don't love it. No. <laughs> um, I mean, this is why I think for Biden, too, the... The, and we're about to talk about. And again, tri- Kennedy's don't often. Uh, this this RFK isn't one to um, embrace a boost. You know what I mean? Okay, okay, I get it. You get it. I get it. You get it. Took me like I, like five mm-hmm. count to get it. Sure. But yes, I do think that the you know the better Trump does, the better it is for Biden and the the case that Biden's making. And you know, I remember in one of our interviews with Ron Klain, he was like, I know the Republican Party thinks it's gonna be someone other than Trump, like they're delusional, basically. Mm-hmm. And 
as Biden can tell people, look, this is this is going to be a choice between me and Donald Trump, then the better it is to like push the RFK stuff aside. It, it, push it inoculates the, him. Push the <laughs> push the third party no labels bullshit aside, right? Like there uh-huh. are no other options here. Obviously voters are grumpy. A lot of people don't want a Trump Biden rematch. But if that's what it is and you have to decide between both of them, there you go. That's probably Biden's best case. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a good case in 2020. It helped him win. Oh, Tommy's got his joke face on. No, I was waiting for you to have another one. <laughs> I'm out. Over in the Republican primary, it's still Donald Trump's nomination to lose. The new NBC Wall Street Journal poll basically says the same thing as all the other polls. Trump holds a double digit lead over Ron DeSantis, 46 to 31 uh, percent, though there's some evidence his indictment bump is fading. That's right. <laughs> that is a phrase. The indictment bump. Um, what, a, what a society we've built. Huh? <laughs> uh, tiny so, let's start over. <laughs> Tiny D also still has higher favorability ratings than Trump, which is interesting. Um, Putting Fingers was just asked about his poll numbers. Here's what he said. I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if if and when that changes. We have to show the video. uh, (laughs) You have to see the video of this because uh, he's basically like rocking his head back and forth like he's a bobblehead doll while in Japan. I don't even know. It's a wonderful (laughs) I'm not mad face where he just is like twitching with rage. It's really worth it. He looks super fucking weird is basically the point. Um, And here's uh, here's the new Super PAC ad, the Super PAC from uh, from Ron DeSantis. Steel isn't forged overnight, but after all the mining, blasting and casting is done, it's strong. It lasts. As governor, DeSantis stood up to Dr. Fauci when others stood aside, banned CRT, and got the smut out of schools. Refused to let woke Disney push us around and put media elites in their place. Ron DeSantis never backs down because his backbone wasn't forged overnight. Ugh. Ugh. It's just a truck ad. It's a truck ad with a with a political script. It's, it made me laugh to think about like he had the courage to stand up to Doctor Fauci. Four eleven doctor, yeah, a senior citizen pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's like how fucking internet brain do you have to be? It's like uh, CRT doesn't even say critical race no, theory. Just CRT. Explain nothing. This is just for the posters, just for the comment section, and all the. It's like and all the music and all of it. It's like. You know, it, it's it's like they're it's like it's like it's like there's trying to make you think that you're at a Guy Fieri restaurant and that you got a bucket of nachos, but then he, they lift the bucket and there's not nachos under there. It's like a little canopy. It's a little, you know, it's a little Ron. Granted, this is his super pack, so it's not like Ron DeSantis's campaign, but it still kind of sucks. Um, what do you do to turn this thing around if you're Ron DeSantis? Uh, Anyone have advice for the DeSantis campaign? Uh, we're now campaign? doing advice for DeSantis. Sure, I mean, yeah. I, Say you were on the DeSantis campaign. Here's my here's what I'm still waiting for, just as a just as a uh, a fan of Republicans ripping each other to shreds. Mm. And it's full throated, well made cases against each other. I want to see a speech with a beginning and a middle and end that mm. walks through the case against Donald Trump. Like I think part of the issue here, like I, I ta- again, like Leibovich wrote a piece about he, he, in November about how people aren't going to like Ron DeSantis once they get to know him. So far bearing out. Mm. But I do think he's in this kind of liminal space where like he's hinted at an argument against Donald Trump and talked about his strengths as a candidate, but it's just a lot of kind of empty white space to be filled in with all of this sort of machination process stuff. And it's like, make a fucking case or don't. Or go back to go back to Disney World, whatever. But just you got to do something. Yeah. If this was a boxing match, uh, we just watched the first round and 
Ron DeSantis has kept his arms by his side the whole time and Donald Trump is pummeling him in the face and he's not defending himself. He's not fighting back. He's not doing anything. It's early. Now it's the second round, but he should throw a punch. Stop looking like a wimp. He looks like a wimp. He's not making an argument against Trump. Where he is, it's these oblique things on policy like guns and abortion rights. Call him a loser. He lost to Joe Biden. He listened to Dr. Fauci. Like the Fauci thing in that ad is an attempt to say, oh, when when Florida, uh, when when Fauci tried to lock down Florida, Ron wouldn't let him. But Joe Biden listened to Dr. Fauci. Ron DeSantis should be the one out there saying that if he wants to make that argument. But it's not getting hurt. Hard to throw a punch when your hand's stuck in the pudding. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. It's hard to eat pudding with a glove on. He is. Donald Trump. Donald Trump is. We love Donald Trump's policies. He's an undisciplined, loose cannon who cost the Republican Party control of the White House and Congress. That's it. He can't win another general election. You want Joe Biden for four more years? Enjoy Donald Trump. Well, yes. You have Chris Christie kind of making, he's starting to make some version of this argument. He's not going that hard. He's hinting at it here and there. Everybody's dancing around it. Uh, DeSantis and Chris Christie are the closest to actually making an argument. I think Christie's just making it. What is he not saying? He's like, well, I mean, I think he's- He's like calling him a loser. He's calling him a loser, but he's not like he, you know, he's dancing around it when he talks to Mark Lee, which doesn't want to lean into having the fight. He's sort of saying it a bit here and there on the road. He's just a pissy asshole. He's just doing it in the Acela corridor. That, that's the problem with Christie. Yeah. He's just like doing a little Chris Christie rehab green speaking room to tour. Green room. Right. Then you have like the Nikki Haley's and I mean, Tim Scott's and none of them are going in. None of the other announced candidates are polling above single digits. Your Nikki Haley's, your Tim Scott's, they're just sitting there, you know. Do you think there's room for any candidates who haven't announced yet, like a Chris Christie, like a Glenn Youngkin? And I realize those two are not very alike. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Christie is really running in his heart of hearts because he thinks he can win. I think he's desperate to be relevant, and this is his constant way back into the conversation. Youngkin, maybe he's a great general election candidate someday, but I have zero confidence that primary voters will like him more than Trump. I, I, you know, we can't predict the future, right? Trump could... He could go away. He could go to jail. Uh, maybe Tucker Carlson will run. Maybe maybe Trump will take over for Tucker Carlson. That'll be his new job. Mm, but nice. um, no one's really seems like they're trying. Like Nikki Haley, I saw that she has not gotten off of her corporate boards. Like talk about hedging your bets. Nikki Haley. Well, we she should. <laughs> I mean, that's smart. It's a smart move from her. But like run, run or run or don't. A classic. You know, Nikki Haley announced that she's going to give this big speech about abortion, but then has it said on background. But there's not going to be any policy. She's going to talk about the way forward on abortion, but not do any policy. And it's just a people. symptom of their kind of failure to go all in. Like, remember, I, I was talking to some, like, a, I was talking to a, like a, a, new, a New York real estate, like, rich person who'd been going, like, who'd been around Donald Trump as this sort of, like, ridiculous figure in New York real estate for 20, 30 years. And he was like, these people don't get it. Like, Donald Trump never quits. He never tires. He never wavers. Like, he is relentless. He will wear you down. And, like, if there's going to be any person could be the person from this list that could be the one to put up a real fight, but they have to be tireless and they have to be ready to really have that fight. And none of them, even Chris Christie, the closest is not, none of them want to have the fight. They don't want to own the fight. I think Chris Christie will want to own the fight. I think that in his heart of hearts, like you said, Tommy, I don't think he thinks he can win. Um, I do think his hatred for Donald Trump is genuine because Donald Trump did almost kill kill him. him. (laughs) Tried to kill him for sure. It took a while. Yeah, I mean, like, sure, it's relevance too, but also he tried to kill him. Yeah, He tried to kill him. And then when he was in the hospital, almost dying, Donald Trump called and said, you're not going to tell him it was me that gave you yeah, COVID, Mark, are Mark you? Mark and I talked about that too. <laughs> yeah, if I said, you doing okay? Yeah, don't tell anybody, buddy. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the odds of Chris Christie heading down to Mar-a-Lago to suck up to Trump to get back in his good graces are much higher than Chris Christie winning the nomination. But that, but I do think that's part of it. Like, 
the the person that does it, they have to believe they can beat him. They have to believe yeah. they can win. I think DeSantis believes he can win. Well, so, so I think the problem with both Chris Christie and Glenn Youngkin and all the rest of them is I think the only candidate who has anything close to Trump's connection with the MAGA base is Ron DeSantis. Absolutely. And you cannot win this primary, a Republican primary, without a real deep connection to the MAGA base. Tucker has it. Right, Tucker. I'm sorry. Tucker has it. Yeah. And and like, does DeSantis have it as much as Trump? No, absolutely not. But at least he's a, a possibility. None of the rest of them have that connection. No. They, might have, a... they have a connection with like some college educated Republicans, D.C. Republicans, strategists who are all like wish casting for someone to save us from Donald Trump. Right. Like the people who, you know, New York donors, the New York donors, the D.C. strategists, all these people. But like out in the out in real America. <laughs> no. Do you uh, remember what the villains were in that movie with Riddick? The like the Death Eaters who keep what they kill. Do you remember this? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Huh, the Chronicles of Riddick? Yeah. Who can well, forget? Who were the didn't, villains? Didn't catch it. That villain. Anyway. There was big, anyway, <laughs> there was big news on abortion Friday night. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, Mifepristone will remain available for now while we wait for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to decide the case. Both the Fifth Circuit and the federal judge who heard the case wanted to restrict access immediately, but it turns out only Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito agreed with them. New York Times said this was a, quote, powerful message from a chastened court. Uh, what do you guys think of that, Tommy? The court does not seem to be remotely chastened. <laughs> um, Strict Scrutiny did a great breakdown of this ruling uh, of the Alito dissent. But they, it, it's worth listening to for just that. But they also talked about how they listened to the oral arguments and there was zero sign of embarrassment or contrition from Clarence Thomas in anything he said or did uh, in, 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 since the Harlan Crow disclosures came out that he was taking all these private jet flights. So it's worth checking out that episode. Yeah, as uh, the host of Strict have said on this show, the fact that it was even a question as to whether or not this ridiculous ruling would be stayed is a testament to how illegitimate and not chastened this court is. The fact that it's not 9-0 is is, uh, a sign that the court is not chastened at all. And like, God, Alito is such a fucking, just like, pissy, sniveling, creepy fuck. He is the worst one. It is disgusting. I saw an interview with where Javier Becerra said he might not uphold everything and therefore I'm not issuing a stay. (laughs) I fucking hate him. Alito sucks. I guess, yeah. Can I say that on this podcast? Sure. Oh, wow. Going out on a ledge. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nothing Alito and Thomas do or say surprises me sure. at all. They're the most extreme members of the court. I don't even like think that they just write trollish dissents. They're awful people. I'm interested in like Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Gorsuch on this one because you had the three liberals plus Roberts on the right side of the Dobbs case, but Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Gorsuch didn't join Thomas and Alito on this one. And I'm wondering if it's just because in the original Dobbs decision, they made such a point of saying that like this should be left to the states and blocking access to Mifepristone would certainly not be leaving it to the states. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think also like this is a truly like the fact that Alito and Thomas didn't join them is just a sign of like they are obviously beyond the pit. Like, I don't care how far right you are, any any like. Any judge that puts any faith or stock in any of the words that they've ever said in any hearing ever should not be participating in this Smith Preston thing. Like, I don't think you have to go so far as say like, oh, they believe it should be left up to the states. Like, these guys don't have standing. It's a ridiculous thing. Of course, it should be stayed. It will create chaos if it's not. That's it. So what happens from here? Uh, basically, May 17th, I believe, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Here's oral arguments. Then the Fifth Circuit will rule. 
And inevitably, this will end up back at the Supreme Court because either side that loses uh, from the Fifth Circuit will probably appeal to the Supreme Court. We don't know what the Supreme Court will do, but it's obviously a good omen based on what they just did on Friday, uh, what will happen. So the timing of this all but guarantees that a final ruling will come this summer as the Republican primary heats up. Trump's latest position is that per Dobbs, abortion should be left to the states, though there was a time story over the weekend uh, that some Republican state legislatures uh, don't agree. They are in states like Ohio trying to change laws to prevent ballot measures that would protect abortion access. Do you guys think Trump's position here will fly in the primary and or general that, you know what, Dobbs happened and now abortion should be left to the states and that's the compromise and that's it? I think in the primary that will work for him because uh, Trump can signal to these right-wing anti-abortion groups, I'm going to say what I need to say to win. You know I'm with you. Look at all these wacko judges I gave you. Like, wink, nod, don't worry about it. These right-wing evangelicals, people are always like, oh, how can they vote for him? He's an adulterer. He's this, he's that. He's venal. He's a liar. They don't care. He's their scumbag. He does their bidding for them. They're they're psyched about it. In the general election, I think that all of these positions are incredibly toxic and will be damaging to the Republican nominee, whoever it is, but um, a long way until there. Yeah. I mean, you, other than you have Pence basically staking out a very anti-abortion position and then you have a lot of these Republicans who don't want to piss off the evangelical base while also trying to avoid saying anything concrete on this issue. Nikki Haley was asked about this. Uh, uh, Haley signed a bill in 2016 banning abortions at uh, 20 weeks. Uh, when she was asked about this, uh, uh, she said, what we have to do is we have to be very loving in the way we do this. But we also have to figure out that we've got to figure this out. So let's do it. <laughs> oh, my God. And so I think that tells you a bit something about where the politics of this are, as does Tim Scott's word salad. And, and so, you know, even Nikki Haley giving this big speech that's about staking out the fact that because she is a woman, because she has given birth, she is the best person to lead the party on abortion. She's afraid to take a position. She's, she wants to leave it to others and avoid taking this. So I think Trump will be safe in part because no one is going to make any kind of argument either way against him. Yeah, but I do think in the in the general, it, it's going to be a real fucking problem for him. And I think Democrats can very fairly tag Trump and the entire Republican Party as abortion extremists who will not stop until they get a national ban. There is plenty of evidence for that. Oh, I would constantly put them on the defense of that over and over and over again. I would say these are your judges. They made these rulings. You own this. Right. And they are continuing to make rulings that try to do things like block yeah. abortion medication access and, and look what's happening in these states when people try to put ballot measures on where they're trying to vote to protect abortion access. Republican legislatures are just saying no. Do you think Donald Trump's going to disagree with those Republican legislatures? Probably not. Every statewide race in the midterms and in Wisconsin was an, a referendum on a anti-abortion candidate versus a pro-choice candidate, every single one. And every Republican that tried to, you know, take some kind of a compromise position or, or you know, emphasize that there are exceptions to some ban, that didn't work for any of them. Didn't work. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Hey, pet parents. Are you searching for the perfect place for your dog to play? Check out Camp Bow Wow. 
Our safe and supervised doggy daycare and boarding ensures your pup gets the socialization they crave while giving you peace of mind. With our certified staff and clean and spacious facilities, your dog will have a blast making friends and staying active. Join the Camp Bow Wow Pack today. Your first day is free. Visit us at CampBowWow.com. Franchise opportunities available. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down. Not do what generations of New Englanders have done. Just stuff their feelings down. Maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No. You got to talk to someone. You got to work it out. Get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. So the best and most shocking news of the week is that Tucker Carlson has been fired from Fox News effective immediately. The decision came directly from Rupert Murdoch himself, reportedly. Tucker found out Monday morning and will not have a chance to say goodbye in a final episode. So sad. Yeah. Um, no green day for him. <laughs> what do we know about why this happened, guys? Well, so th- the Washington Post said that he was fired because of some of Tucker's comments about management that came out in the Dominion lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I don't really buy that. Uh, the LA Times said it was because a former senior producer for Tucker's show named Abby Grossberg has filed a federal lawsuit against the network that names Tucker. And also, she says, uh, Fox's legal team coerced her into giving misleading testimony. So the, the there's two suits. One of them claims that while working on Carlson's show, she endured an environment that, quote, subjugates women based on vile sexist stereotypes, typecasts religious minorities and belittles their traditions and demonstrates little to no regard for those suffering from mental illness. So it seems like Tucker, as the leader of the show, had a horrible culture. Incredible. Like, I mean, shocker. shocker. Another shocker. I mean, we know what he says on the air. God knows what he does off the air. Well, in the uh, that same LA Times report also said that another big concern that Rupert Murdoch had was um, about Tucker's January 6th reporting <laughs> that uh, not just all the all the footage that he's been showing and all that kind of stuff, but that um, he, he basically thinks it was a false flag operation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that um, the man, a tech man from Texas named Ray Epps, who showed up at January 6th but did not enter the Capitol, uh, Tucker suggested that he's an FBI plant. Epps just told 60 Minutes that he's had death threats as a result. So apparently Murdoch was concerned about that. I, I will say it's a little odd. That, like He's concerned about that for how many how many years has Tucker been doing yeah, this Yeah, that now? came out a year ago. Was <laughs> like, he, he let him run a documentary. But yeah, it was like, the, I'm it drawing was, the line today. But it was the same sourcing from the yeah, Abby Grossberg. Yeah, yeah. And there's well. the, there's other lawsuits still coming down the pike. There's Smartmatic. There's other legal threats related to the uh, there's the ongoing defamation suits are not over. Uh, yeah. So. I, I and just, there's a chance that Tucker is talking about running. I just don't know that we have. I, I'm interested to see what else comes out because like we also know that he had multiple Tucker had multiple producers who he had to fire because it came out that they were prolific posters on like super racist 
far, 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 far right message boards. I mean, there's been like a churn of stuff like this for years. Yeah, I'm really interested in some kind of uh, a TikTok about what actually, what was the final straw here? Because you're right, a lot of this stuff has been building up at the network for a long time. Um, now, before we move off of this topic, mm. uh, I will tell you what my first reaction was uh, because my brain is broken, which is, Ugh, and Logan's body's not even cold. Uh, so, uh, Andy, would you mind um, bringing the the... the the documents. Uh, so here's now here's the deal. Uh, oh my gosh, look at how much typing love it did. Uh, I have I have I have in my hands a conversation between Kendall, Roman, and Shiv about replacing Tucker Carlson. Uh, there's a part for each of us. Great. Would you like to be who would you like to be? Would you like to be Kendall, Roman, or Shiv? I think you should assign us. You're the casting director. Um, I feel like I have some. I feel like I have Kendall energy. <laughs> oh, you want? Okay, I'm gonna give Tommy's gonna be Shiv. Sweet. I'm gonna be Roman, and Tom and John can be Kendall. Um, I think we're ready. So, what's the move here? What's the play? We do the Roman Coliseum thing. Thumbs down. Keep your dick in your pants, little Caesar. <laughs> maybe I'm just saying maybe. We take the gloves off. Make it easier to warm our hands on all the burning books. We still have Hannity and Ingram. You think they need uniforms? Very funny. I'm saying we go full red meat. Lions eating AOC, bone-in Black Lives Matter. Kendall won't be happy until every CPAP machine in Florida is clogged with gist. Jesus, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. We send Jesse Waters to wait outside public bathrooms with a big net to, next to a paddy wagon labeled trans people. Shiv wants to do fucking 60 minutes but make it feel longer. Is one hour of news in primetime a terrible idea? This is a news channel. You've got four million people who want to feast on the blood of their enemies, and you're like, did someone say salad? Have you seen how low those golf carts are riding? Those people could use a couple salads. Is it crazy to bring O'Reilly back? Has that whole thing had enough time to cool off? Cool off its six sexual harassment settlements, not a cartoon pie out of windowsill, you freak. <laughs> okay, rubber meets the road. What are our actual real-world options? Waters, Gutfield, Bartiromo. Oh, I think she's in a dumpster out back looking for clues. <laughs> <laughs> Shiv wants to use Brett Bear, one of the other human reputational condoms we keep in the nightstand because our brand makes her uncomfortable. <laughs> our brand is scaring old races between ads for life insurance and Applebee's. You said that like it's a bad thing. Does it even matter? Before Tucker, there was O'Reilly, Beck, Kelly. They're all replaceable. People don't come to the circus to see the ringmaster. They come to see the fucking elephants. Wait, 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 guys. I got it. Look at what just broke. You have to show us something on your phone. You have to act. I think it's audio. I know, but yeah, there we go. You know, I don't hate it. Prodigal Sun Angle shifts the narrative. Don, Don Lemon. Lemon. <laughs> I think we did great. <laughs> Just want everyone to know that was first time Tommy and I ever wrote, read that. that was, yeah. <laughs> no practice there. I thought it was good. That was great. Love it. Yeah, thanks for thanks, thanks for doing that. Thanks so much. I was going to ask how big of a deal do you think this is, but I think I think we answered that. I think we answered. I don't I my honest feed on the whole thing is that the you know musical chairs at Fox News are hyped by media reporters, but ultimately the issue is the audience. They've created this audience. The audience needs to be fed and watered, and they've slowly radicalized these people after over 20 years. Sean Hannity's been in the same chair for since 1996. Uh, O'Reilly was a behemoth that was irreplaceable until Carlson came along. People, Glenn Beck, we went through a news cycle about how monstrous Glenn Beck was. The problem is the overall... <laughs> The overall network and what it does to the people that watch it every day. And those people now are radicalized. And if they don't get what they want from Fox News, they will go to Newsmax or they will go to Daily Wire or they will go somewhere. I, 
agree about the network and I agree about the audience. I do think that not all right-wing propagandists are created equal. Yeah. And I think that Tucker was especially skilled at what he did in a way that, like, I don't think Hannity is. Um, I think Hannity is just sort of a goof. Um, I, I kind of think that, like, and I think that Tucker not being there, do I think it's like a, a big win for democracy and everything's going to be great now? No, like, you're right. Someone's going to be horrible in that seat and that's going to be that. But, like, Tucker's a pretty dangerous guy and I don't know that he will find a platform as big as Fox News. If you look at the history of other people who left that network, other hosts, Megyn Kelly, Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, they haven't found that kind of success anywhere. Yeah, I, I think that Tucker's a big audience. He's influential, but I do not think he's some sort of generationally talented broadcaster, or even all that talented. And the reason I think that is because he was on CNN, MSNBC, and PBS before Fox, and he sucked ass on all of those networks and got fired. And so I saw someone compare him leaving uh, Fox to leaving ESPN and thinking you're better than the network, and they never, ever are. Lots of people decide, oh, I outgrew ESPN, and then they leave, and then they they do fine, but they don't do better. So I'm sure Tucker will do other things. He'll have other jobs. But my guess is that Fox slots in Jesse Waters yeah. or some other like just as fine at the job, you know, guy who will read a script um, in the same way they replace Bill O'Reilly, and no one really gives a shit in a month. I think the Tucker that showed up on Fox, especially in recent years in the Trump era, is very different from the Tucker on he CNN is or he MSNBC. He's more racist, but like, is that a function of the the network or the individual? I, I think, just don't know. I think top rated show. I think Tucker Tucker's great skill throughout his career is that he had the ability to kind of understand where like the where a big chunk of the right was going and kind of either follow them or lead them there and he was very he he had a he had an approach and a philosophy that was deeper than any approach that uh, Sean Hannity or Jesse Waters or Greg Gutfeld or any of those people have yeah. and that did make him creative it made him innovative and it made him dangerous I don't know that that work wasn't already done. I don't think like I don't know that there's more to add to the end of that playbook that Jesse Waters can't pick up and run with now. Like I think the damage has been done. He's shown people he like showed people new ways to kind of access the fucking fever swamp of the right. I, just, um, such, we'll see. I think they're all such goofs. I think like Laura Ingram is like uh, if you want to pick someone is like a little closer to Tucker <laughs> in that in that category. But I think the rest of them are like fucking goofs. Waters is more comedy first. Yeah. Tucker got into real right wing racist agitation prop like i'll never forget the the segment he did where he claimed that like white farmers in south africa were being killed but again th that's like dark a, shit though. it's dark shit but it's not about him it's an editorial choice to like go to those places and i think the next person will go to those places too and the audience will be happy about i'm just it. saying that other fox hosts haven't been as successful in going to those places or haven't even tried as hard to go to those places as much as as yeah. much as it's uh, a different approach like, the sean hannity show is just a isn't Mr. Trump wonderful and we love Mr. Yes. Trump and all this kind of bullshit. And Tucker's doing his own thing and yeah. his own philosophy, which is He's some deeply more dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And I and I do think that like right wing propaganda is a lot like therapy in that like it just has to be good enough. And then you get a lot out of it. You get the voters you need, you get them angry, you get them turned off to Republicans, inoculated against Democrats, all those things. Tucker was doing something was doing that, but then I do think something much more dangerous on top of it. He did have this philosophy around elitism yeah. that I think really resonated and kind of connected him more. Like Tucker Carlson was more connected to the Joe Rogan kind of ecosystem. That's, that's why it feels than, it, than Sean Hannity has ever been. where like the J.D. Vances and Josh Hawley get their inspiration from Tucker and they're all like tweeting about how sad but, it is but and that's, all that bullshit. But I do think that's because Tucker is, he didn't invent this 
movement. He is part of it and he understood it and saw an opening and kind of helped pry that opening open. But like your J.D. Vance's, uh, you know, the Peter Thiel kind of universe, like they're investing in these kinds of, uh, uh, I forget the skeleton from Arizona. What was his name? Blake Masters is another candidate that kind of <laughs> yeah. was trying to access this kind of thing. So yeah. you see like I, Crowder slotting into the slot pretty easily, and there's a lot of people. Out there. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. I, that's I think there's a lot of outsiders that could probably uh, do something like this. Yeah. All right. Finally, a culture war update. Bud Light has decided to put two executives on leave because they sent a personalized Bud Light can to transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney as part of a marketing promotion. They caused a bunch of right wing weirdos to lose their shit and call for a boycott of Bud Light including a video where Kid Rock shot cases of Bud Light with a rifle. So should we now call for a counter boycott of Bud Light because they cowered to the to the mob? Way to fight cancel culture, everybody. We did it. I mean, what, what was pathetic to watch about this is Republicans, Dylan Mulvaney gets essentially a swag mag, a commemorative beer can. The right entire right wing flips out until someone gets a call from a lobbyist that's like, hey, uh, Anheuser-Busch gives a ton of money to Republican causes. In the 2022 cycle alone, Anheuser-Busch gave, and its employees gave the NRCC $464,000. Members of the Bush family give huge amounts of money to Republicans too. That's when you saw Donald Trump Jr. come out and others say, actually, let's chill with the boycott stuff, right? Because they heard about the money, but uh, it was too late and uh, Bud Light decided to essentially fire these people. Bud Light also put out a statement that it never it does it it said nothing. It just nothing. sort of it 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 tried to tamp down the controversy, which actually in, in a way that I think other companies have done worse. But they tried to tamp down the controversy without ever apologizing or suggesting they shouldn't have done it. Um, but to try to kind of tilt towards recognizing the controversy, which got them nothing. I just can't like imagine how you sleep at night and you're just like I had to make a decision to put someone who works for me on leave because they thought it would be nice to just send a beer can to a transgender activist with their name on to it. make them feel included to make them feel included that's that's, that's what they the did. crime that's and that sin. was so bad that i had to tell those people you're done with the company it's like, uh are you, that's it's, a, it's also a it's ultimately a what we're we're a month past what was one sponsored instagram post i think that's what it is one post from a month ago by one person megan mccardle who is a conservative who writes a lot of stuff that's quite terrible, wrote about the right and its approach to persuasion versus bullying. And I thought this was an interesting thing to come out of the right on this. And I'm not going to read the part where she where she caveats the fact that Dylan is trans, but I, so I will skip the caveat. I'm skipping a caveat, but she writes... It's easy to understand why she's accumulated more than 10 million TikTok followers over the course of her online transition. She makes life and being trans seem like such fun. She traffics not in anger or cruelty, but in whimsy and joy. Where Matt Walsh offers enemies, Dylan Mulvaney aspires to exuberance. She suggests the possibility of making herself and the world into something better, while Walsh promises at best only the dour satisfaction of being right about how terrible everything is. It isn't surprising that the kids are choosing Mulvaney over that. Uh, which I think is a really... A, a very, very good point and why I think ultimately these politics backfire. And to me, is like uh, that that captured for me the feeling of what it's like to watch this unfold, because, you know, even calling Dylan Mulvaney a transgender activist. Sure, that is what she is. But really, her activism, for the most part, has just been 
making video videos describing her life and trying to be say what what she's going through through this transition. And it has enraged so many people, not just to see someone unapologetically do that, but to build a following while doing it. Well, you think about how this hits the vast majority of people who do not pay close attention to politics, culture wars, any of these issues who are like, you know, have certain feelings about different most voters. Right. And they're like, oh, there's a big what what's the big fuss over that they that they sent a, a, a sent a bud butt light can to someone who's transgender and everyone's mad about that. That seems fucking crazy. Just the, That's how most people would think of that. The whiplash <laughs> of spending years crying about cancel culture and then doing then literally shooting your machine gun at a beer can. It, you know, it's like it, I know hypocrisy doesn't seem to matter in politics anymore, but it's exhausting in headspin. And and now the, like they're pretending to be popular so like the attack on the woke corporations when they just basically got got a got a corporation to fire a bunch of people. Well, and, but all of it there too. It's also just such an admission of failure, right? Because all of this their defense of why they have to do all this now is like if we don't do this now, basically what they're saying is if, if we don't stop companies from saying it's okay to be trans, eventually it won't be okay to have our views, right? That's what they're trying to say. They're saying if we don't shoot up the Bud Light cans and fuck Disney over and make them pay for representing a view we don't agree with, they're going to at some point force their views down our throats. That's not happening right at this moment, but that's what's coming. They're coming for us. And of course, it's, it's conspiratorial nonsense. And so they look just they just look out to lunch. I still think that in the announcement video, Biden should shoot a can of Bud Light himself. Mm. Yeah. What about that? I don't know. I don't love it. <laughs> um, you don't think that's a good idea? Uh, you mean like a, but like, but on in defense of Dylan Mulvaney. Right, that's what I'm saying. Well, well no, now we're now we're doing counter boycott because I've, now I've Bud Light. But they right. haven't stopped shooting the things. Nobody could drink Bud Light anymore. No, that's it. It's done. Wow, they really stepped in it. Yeah, they at, did. They're still they mad did. at Bud Light, unfortunately. All right. When we come back, Love It talks to The Atlantic's Mark Leibovich about Chris Christie and I presume a whole bunch of other shit. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. 
You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Joining us now as the Republican primary heats up and the nation has turned its gaze to Chris Christie. Uh, he just he just published a, a great profile of Chris Christie here to talk about it. It's the Atlantic's Mark Leibovich. Mark, welcome back to the pod. John, always good to be on the pod. Thanks for having me. I, I, we dove right in just moments ago, and I am curious. You, your question to me was, do you think that uh, uh, post-Tucker Fox News is going to be worse? And doesn't it feel like it has to be? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the the media, the kind of Trump era version of Moore's Law, which is like that that you know Intel founder Gordon Moore, you know that idea that mm-hmm. like chips get faster, double and yeah, uh, we can double the amount worse. of racism in an hour. Yeah, correct. It's every like, two oh, to three know, years, like Roger Ailes, you know, gets forced out, and Bill O'Reilly gets forced out. I'm like, oh, ding dong, the wicked witches are dead, and you know, then you get a, a worse iteration and. Um, you know, Trump begets DeSantis. I don't know. I mean, there's just it's always a spiral in these areas. So, yeah, I have no confidence that the Tucker Carlson. First of all, I don't think we've heard the last of Tucker Carlson. Maybe we'll run for something. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just gonna, the deviancy will continue to be defined downward. And um, yeah, I'm not expecting that the improvement will be pivoted to today. Yeah, it's, it's as if each host leaves the audience in worse shape, and they they kind of you know pick it, pick up the baton from how 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 well they've trained them. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a bizarro version of that democratic messaging. Like this is the first generation that isn't better off than the generation before. You know. Um, yeah. You know, people are always saying that. It's actually both parties who do, who have, who did that in the past. But yeah, no. I mean, there is there is always sort of a new level. I mean. You know, uh, Tucker Carlson at least had some skills. I mean, there are some, I mean, there are some versions of him that are probably objectively stupider, um, maybe less, more racist. I don't know. I mean, look, all, all the benchmarks are, are always, can always get lower, you know, worse. So, yeah, I'm never optimistic when it comes to this. So, so uh, I want to set the stage. Uh, Chris Christie claims to be the only person who can beat Trump in the primary. He agrees to meet you. For breakfast at the swanky Hey Adams Hotel, genteel, when you, ornate, ornate. Mm-hmm. When you mention the name Donald Trump to Chris Christie, he seems to get upset with you. Uh, what 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 happened there? You know, I am intrigued by him only because you know he is interesting. He is nimble. He potentially could finally, after seven eight years, turn his bullying, brawling, um, you know, argumentative tone. Uh, against Donald Trump, um, which he had resisted to this point. And that would make him interesting. So we go to breakfast and he got very defensive very quickly because I was dubious. I think skepticism is warranted in a case like this. Um, I think this is potentially opportunistic, but I also hope he'll run because I think he'll be more interesting than, um, you know, Asa Hutchison or any of the others less than 1% doing it. And he started like kind of biting my head off and it was kind of a weird scene and he didn't order breakfast. Um, but I think he might have been acting too. It was kind of, it felt a little sticky and I tried to write up the whole, the whole spectacle. There's a quality, you know, you've, you've profiled Chris Christie in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you, you wrote a piece for the times about Chris Christie in 2014, uh, with a headline that I think in hindsight, uh, uh, 
isn't exactly accurate because it was Chris Christie is back. Yeah. Uh, it turns out he wasn't. Yeah. But you feel in both of these pieces, he has this, he believes that his authenticity should be a currency that you appreciate, right? That like, that, that he's, that he's cool enough and he mm-hmm. can hang enough to get a good profile out of you. Uh, and um, do, do you think that he's right? Or do you think he's finally learned his lesson? What do you think? No, I mean, I look, there, there, it is a form of authenticity to be full of shit in a way that is more transparent than other people are. I mean, I think mm-hmm. at base level, like when you, whenever when someone, whenever a politician is performing for a reporter or for anyone, there is a baseline full of shitness about it. Um, his thing is, you know, I'm a wise guy. I'm a Jersey tough guy, you know. You know, I was really popular. I took on teachers unions and stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, he doesn't. I mean, it's not as if um, this is any great mystery. I, I just think that his performance art is far more transparent than he might think it is. And, and you know, maybe reporters are smarter than he thinks they are, or at least some of them are. So I don't know. I It was a fun story, at least for me. I don't think he liked it, though. So one uh, one thing about Chris Christie that's different than some of his other uh, uh, non-Trump opponents is he's actually making an argument against Trump sure. about about his failures, about his failures to achieve the things he said he was going to achieve, building the wall, immigration, COVID, whatever it yeah. may be. Is he is he making any kind of electability argument on the road at all or has it been focused on competence? Um, well, first of all, he hasn't he hasn't. I mean, to correct you, he hasn't really gone into Donald Trump was a disaster in office. I mean, none of the Republican candidates have gone, have mocked him that much, except for maybe the wall. But, you know, I mean, Biden used this, this on him in 2020, and any Republican should too, which is that he lost more jobs. He's the first president in history to lose more jobs um, leaving office than he did coming in. Now, obviously, COVID was not entirely, you know, he screwed up COVID, but, you know, there were a lot of other factors, but that's it. That's a pretty damning thing. And also, if you're a Republican, there's just the loser rap, which is, you know, it's pretty hard to lose to Joe Biden and, you know, you're the first Republican in 100 years to lose the House, the Senate, the White House, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I I think Christie would also be uniquely positioned to say, hey, look, you know what? He was a disastrous president because he could have overturned Obamacare if you really want that, because he wouldn't have needlessly alienated, you know, uh, Mike Pence or whoever. Certainly me, Jeb Bush, would not have alienated uh, John McCain, would have probably done it much smarter, um, you know, would have actually drained this, would have actually, you know, not pardoned my friends, would have not sowed an insurrection, would have not gotten impeached. So, um, you know, the other thing is, uh, I mean... I don't the the idea that like, oh, you thought, you know, you're going to get, you know, thanks for the infrastructure bill. Oh, actually, wait, that was Joe Biden. So, I mean, his his promises made promises kept thing. I mean, you can sort of, you know, drill all kinds of holes through that. But no, but Christie knows where he's vulnerable. And right now he's focused mainly on the loser thing, but also in that he's kind of nuts. And electability is obviously kind of right beneath the surface of all that. So you wrote a piece in November about DeSantis. Uh, when he was white hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of your sources at the time thought DeSantis would fizzle. One of them said Trump will club DeSantis like a baby seal. Evocative. You also talked a fair amount about the uh, interpersonal challenges yeah. uh, that might come for Ron DeSantis. Does that seem to be bearing out now? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, as usual, people should have just listened to me six months ago. But no, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, DeSantis is, off, first of all, he's off to a disastrous start, I think. I think every time he goes out in public, including today, there was some clip that went pretty viral of him in Japan um, looking extremely weird in the face of a question yes. about, you know, polls or something like that. Electability. Yes. I'm yeah, not running and going, if and when, yeah, et cetera. Strange. If you, have, if you haven't seen that, it's pretty viral. So you can go go find it. But it's weird as all hell. And um, yeah, I I think he's going nowhere. I mean, I think people compared him, you know, maybe to Scott Walker, to Rick Perry, all these people who were sort of seen as like the obvious sort of heir apparent. But I think he might even be worse. Um and but we'll see. I actually, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how a guy like him turns it around because he's so unappealing, objectively, just to watch. Yeah, to me, I, I, the comparison for me is he really reminds me of the villain from Ghostbusters. He has real Walter yeah. Peck energy, like the going after Disney. Like I'm going to put a prison next to this amusement park. Like yeah. that's like Act Three, uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's just villain TV stuff. That is so true. Yeah, no, that, that is that is brilliant. No, that is I totally agree. Any of the other Republicans doing anything that surprises you? Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, uh, Asa Hutchinson, the white hot, the 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 electric charismatic Asa Hutchinson, who had just thought the best place to announce his presidential campaign was this week with George Stephanopoulos. Anybody uh, anybody surprising you at all? No, not at all. I mean, Pence is is pathetic, which is not new. I mean, you know, he kind of had this feeble critique of Trump, um, you know, this off the record, I guess it was, was either the gridiron or the alfalfa. I always mix them up. Um, so you know, inside of Washington yeah, yeah. dinner, um, no cameras. Yeah, in Washington, history will not, you know, treat him well. I mean, like, shut up. Um, and uh, you know, Nikki Haley, you know, great. Um, I, you know, I don't see that. Um, you know, people are thinking like Glenn Youngkin. I think people asked someone asked Youngkin about what he thought of Trump, whether he would consider running against him. And Youngkin said, "I think we need to all learn to agree without being disagreeable." And I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that's probably not going to get it done in the Republican primary. Um, I don't know. I mean, there. Although I, I, it would be nice if there was someone who was actually pretty relevant to Republican governance now, whether it's a, um, you know, Brian Kemp or someone like that, who had a pugilistic and sort of savvy, sort of, I guess, somewhat Christie-like side, who could take on Trump and be fearless and and really. Um, put a scare into him and make him uncomfortable on a debate stage. Yeah, I mean, you called Chris Christie an imperfect kamikaze candidate, which seems to be suggesting that it's going to take two people, one person, uh, <laughs> one person to fly into Trump and the other yeah. person to to win. Right. I mean, ideally, that would be one person. I don't I don't think that person or I'm not sure if that person exists. But anytime you have more than one, I mean, the math um, gets really tricky because Trump's going to get his 40, um, probably 35. And then, you know, when you start splitting, um, it, it's, you know, it's never a clean one-on-one. Um, I mean, if it were Cruz or Rubio v. Trump early on, I mean, he probably wouldn't have won in 16. But, you know, the the math absolutely favors him, um, you know, in, in larger fields like this. And it looks like this is going to be one. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, Christie can soften him up, but it's not like, I mean, Tim Scott is going to come in and fi- finish him off. I mean, I don't, I don't think Tim Scott, I mean, is, is the guy to do that. He seems to be running for vice president. I mean, wouldn't a, an imperfect kamikaze candidate is one that doesn't hit the candidate and explode? 
presumably, presumably. if he hits the kit, presumably a perfect kamikaze is somebody who uh, loses by taking out Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Hmm. or wins. And, but then they're not a kamikaze. Oh, I guess that that's true. Although ultimately the kamikaze could happen in the general election after Trump's voters stay home. I see. So, so maybe step. the kamikaze would be a two-step com- There's a lot of stuff going on. I let a metaphor going on here, but you get the idea. Over to the, the Democrats. A couple months ago, you wrote a piece about why someone in the Democratic Party should challenge Joe Biden. Uh, are you excited by Robert F. Kennedy's candidacy? Is he the person for whom you were waiting? Is he the one we've been waiting for? No. Or are we uh, the ones we've been waiting for? Yeah, I was I was hoping for um, someone who was not RFK Jr. or Marianne Williamson. Um, by the way, I still think that that's true. I mean, it's getting late, but, you know, if Gretchen Whitmer or Gavin Newsom or whoever wanted to jump in, um, I, you know, there would be hell to pay. They'd be, they'd get a lot of abuse, but they also, I I think they would be welcomed by a lot of people very quietly. Yeah. I mean, you wrote about, you know, Donald Trump's presidency paralyzed uh, uh, Democrats into a a kind of risk aversion, Mm -hmm. which uh, to be honest with you is something I feel as a Democrat Mm -hmm. uh, who has been paralyzed into a state of risk aversion by Donald Trump. You know, we're speaking on the eve of Biden's reelection announcement and I, my honest feeling about it is that if Joe Biden were five, 10 years younger, there'd be no question. His record of accomplishment would make him unassailable. He like, is he a perfect president? Of course not. But given the hand he was dealt, I find it truly very difficult to imagine someone playing it better. And to me, that says this person has absolutely earned the right to seek a second term. So it really is a question exclusively about age. And that is a tough argument to make for another Democrat. And the worry is, of course, someone jumps in, makes that argument, which is the only salient one, really, maybe generational change. Yeah, it's a different uh, way of saying age. Yeah. Right. But and then, well, it would be if Joe Biden had had governed like a conservative Democrat from the 90s, but he hasn't. Uh, right. It would be more it would be a more it would be more than just age if it had more to it. But it doesn't seem like it really would. And so then you have, you're asking somebody to jump in to weaken him on the most vulnerable aspect of his candidacy. Right. So that's where the yeah. aversion comes from. And I don't know how I don't know how you square that. I don't know how you deal with that that challenge. Yeah, I, I don't think. It would be the Democrat who weakens the, the, the you know, can, candidate X who weakens Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden is himself um, very he's weakened on on its own. I mean, look, it, it's yeah. it's twofold. One, I mean, his poll numbers are terrible right now, both you know, in general, but also, I mean, about like more than half of Democrats don't want him to run. And then, you know, 82, that's how old he'll be when he's inaugurated um, if he wins again. I mean, that's really old. And that's, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's these two things feed on themselves, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I honestly don't think it's the job of, of any challenger to worry about weakening him. And by the way, if Biden um, overcomes this challenger, that itself would be an argument against him being weakened because it, he would have proven his mettle in- He would have won that argument. He would have won the argument yeah, you would have won the argument on the weakest thing on the on the biggest weakness he faces. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that would totally I think that would answer a lot of critics right there. So are you hearing anything that tells you uh, anyone serious is considering jumping in? Nope. Haven't heard a thing. Um, you know, that looks, I guess. I mean, I, I think people are it, again, it's sort of part of the risk aversion. But again, I think there's a way to do it in a way that could um, have great benefits to whoever does it and can, you know, greatly enhance a debate that I think Democrats not only deserve to have, but are overdue to have, because 
they, they really haven't had a debate about their future since Obama was elected in 2008. And that's um, how many years ago is that? 15 years ago. So um, is it 15 years? No. Yeah. 15 yeah. years ago. So, yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, let's go. OK, Obama. Now it's Hillary's turn. And oh, boy, we're really screwed. Let's let's do Biden. It's like, oh, now we're really screwed again. Let's stick with Biden. And um, I don't know. I'm ready for the future. One last question before we let you go. Uh, Elijah, uh, who works on Pod Save America, he tweeted at you that the only flaw in your piece was that there was no question to Chris Christie about the fact that Trump knew he had COVID and tried to kill him. Uh, but you said that it was cut. It was. Uh, it was totally you cut. asked him and it was cut. Can you tell us can you tell us about the exchange? Uh, yeah, um, there wasn't an exchange about it. It's just, well, so it, I was sort of listing the indignities that, that Trump heaped upon him. So, tr- you know, so at the end of his administration, you know, Christie shows up, well, does a lot of debate prep with, with Trump. And then he shows up at the, uh, Amy Coney Barron's super spreader party at the white house, gets COVID lands in the ICU and, and, you know, he's, he's got some comorbidities. So, I mean, he, he was, he was pretty nip and tuck there for a while. And actually, yeah. Uh, this was in my book. So I'm, I'm one of these guys who says this was in my book, but Trump concurrently had COVID. So he was being treated at Walter Reed and Trump <laughs> called Christie to, uh, you know, theoretically wish him well. But after about five seconds on the phone, he pivoted to uh, Chris, you're, you're not going to say you got this from me, are you? And um, Christie said, you know, I yeah, about that's that. never going to change. Um but yeah, no. So he, um, yeah, he gave him COVID. I mean, he, he. Uh, I think the line was that they cut. Um, but thank you for letting me do this. Um, was you know he caught all kinds of humiliations and indignities from Trump, and also caught COVID from him. And, uh, and just for people, this wasn't just like uh, oh, you know, these things happen. Trump had had a positive test. He had. That's he knew he had COVID. That's the most amazing part of all of it. Yeah, and completely unsurprising. Mark Leibovich. Thank you so much for your time. Everybody go read the article in The Atlantic. It's uh it's worth it's 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 worth a read. Thank you, John. Always good to be here. Thank you, Mark. Good to see you. See you soon. All right, before we go, as of this recording, we still don't know what's in Biden's announcement video, but since we all consider ourselves to be close observers of the 46th president, we're gonna go ahead and guess which Bidenisms made it into the final cut. Three phrases, sentences, whatever each winner gets to join the campaign. Love it. You start. Uh, yeah, first, <laughs> no, uh, uh, first prize is joining the campaign for a month. Second prize is joining for two days. <laughs> uh, my my phrases, uh-huh. uh, mine phrases were: I believe in America. Our best, <laughs> I, our best days are ahead of us. Battle for the soul of this nation. A job is about more than a paycheck. It's about dignity. I think it was four or five, but yeah. It's four. <laughs> I had a, it's a lot of overlap. I had Soul of the Nation. Mm. Uh, I just want to get I just want to get credit for having folks in there like at least five times. Mm-hmm. I want to like an over-under on folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all I have. Hold on, where's my other one? What if he, what if he uh, does a detour to talk about how his dad told him it was cool when two guys kissed? <laughs> that seems like it's probably not going to be in there. <laughs> it's a weird thing to include. My dad saw two guys kiss and I said it was fine. I was thinking we might get um, Not Your Father's Republican Party. You know, oh, yeah. Thing just made me think, but I didn't list that. I have That's finished the job. Mm. I mean, soul of the nation, obviously. Yeah. I think I think he's going to do a whole th- riff that's, I ran for president to restore the soul of the nation, to rebuild the backbone of this country, the middle yeah. class. Right. And then, here it comes, to grow the economy from the middle out and the bottom up 
not from the top down. Do you think he's it's, seen the script? Do you think this is a... Yeah, did you work on it? You, the nethermost of the tippy top? I swear to God, I swear to everything, I have not seen the script. I've not got talked to I have not talked to any about it. I also think we're going to get um, light over darkness, hope over fear, unity over division. That's that's his other riff that he's... Unity over division, yeah, that'll, that'll be in there. That's a good one. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Anyway, okay. we'll, well see what we'll happens. happens. Good guesses. We'll see what happens. I mean, people, if you're listening to this, you know what happened. And you know. You know what he did. You know what he said. <laughs> Unless, wouldn't it won't be so funny if there's no video tomorrow? Because <laughs> that's part of it. All of, these, all of these reports have been just a little caveated. Like, yeah. it, it's all but certain, but we never know. We it could pull it back last minute. Well, and then there was a Politico story a month ago about how there wasn't going to be an announcement until, like, the fall or next year. Yeah. But it has been recorded, apparently. It has been filmed. Sounds like it. That's uh, So it's in the can. It's somewhere, yeah. So it's in the can. It's in right. turnaround. Hope they don't backroll it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Mark Leibovich. Uh, thanks to the cast of Succession. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Haley Muse and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineered the show. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Sandy Gerard, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash podsaveamerica. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Your words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.